This is the podcast for Woodland Presbyterian Church in Memphis, Tennessee. We are maturing God's people to serve a hurting world. We hope you enjoy the message, and if you'd like to learn more about our church, look us up at woodlandpres.org. Thanks so much. May the Lord bless you. All right, friends, we've been journeying through the book of Jonah uh, these last few months, and this is our last message uh, about this prophet. And remember uh, that this is a, an unusual prophetic book, right? So the uh, most of the prophets are uh, prophesying. Uh, they are in part making predictions about what will come, but overwhelmingly, actually 90% of what prophets do is to call people back to faithfulness to God's word. Uh, their role is to remind people of the covenant that God established with his people and to say, hey, look, these are the areas where you're not living faithfully into uh, the covenant that God has invited you into, that he has established with you. But Jonah is unique in, that, in this way in that it's a story about a prophet. And we learned from, uh, from 2 Kings, we, we know that Jonah was uh, a prophet that really didn't need any introduction. At the beginning of the, of the book, it just says, Jonah right? Son of Amittai. There's not a big description of who he is because he was really known to the people and he had been encouraging uh, the king to take back power and take back land to fight against their enemy, right? The enemy, uh, the Assyrians. But in this story, we remember that uh, God has given Jonah a mission. He's given Jonah a message. He's given Jonah a task because he wants to reach the Assyrians, especially the city of Nineveh. And we remember this is really hard for Jonah because he is a full-blooded Israelite. And everything about Israel, and its, its power and its prestige and his heritage is important to him. And so then when God says to him, go and speak to the Ninevites, go and proclaim my mercy to the Ninevites, He's in this state of denial. He doesn't want to do it, right? What does he do? He gets on a ship and he goes down to Tarshish and he tries to escape because he doesn't want to do this thing that God has called him to do. And we've been just trying to wrap our heads around, well, how is it that, that Jonah wouldn't want to do what God called him to do? Well, it's because of this inner tension that he experiences because he hates the Ninevites. They're just the, the biggest enemy. They are ruthless and wicked people. One commentator I've mentioned said that they're like a terrorist state. So Jonah is thinking, well, how in the world can I go and do this thing to, to allow them to experience the mercy of God? Why would I go and do that? They're my, they're my total enemy. So he tries to get away, and we know the story, right? He gets on the ship, and there's this huge storm. God sends this amazing storm, this powerful storm that's as big as the whole city of Nineveh. And then the, the sailors are all crying out to their gods. And they're saying, someone save us. And what's Jonah doing? Remember, he's, he's asleep in the boat. He's not even encouraging these other pagan sailors who that he encounters, right? God says, go to the Ninevites. He says, no. He goes to these sailors and he has an opportunity to tell them, look, I actually worship the God of the wind and the waves. But he doesn't do it. And so what do they do? He finally says, just throw me overboard. And then the fish comes. And remember, the fish is only one verse in the whole book. It's not the biggest part of the story. Um, if you believe in the resurrection, you can believe that a guy got swallowed by a fish. And so he finally gets spit out. And then he reluctantly, he goes to the city of Nineveh. And he just fulfills the call that God has in what happens. The biggest surprise is that the people turn from their sin. From the top of the ladder, from the, the king 
to all the people below and everyone in between. They all turn from their sin. And this amazing thing, and Jonah celebrates. Does he celebrate? No, he doesn't celebrate. What does it say in the text? He was exceedingly angry. We were just wondering. Remember last week it was, you mad, bro? Why are you mad? Check your heart, Jonah. What's going on in you that doesn't allow you to celebrate when people turn from sin? And so we talked last week about how hard it was for Jonah even to celebrate that his enemy could somehow be reconciled to God. And so we asked ourselves the question, what is it that angers me? What is it that is frustrating or annoying to me? Am I celebrating what God is doing around the world? Or even can I celebrate if my enemies experience the mercy of God? And then we come to the final passage in in the book. We're going to see what does Jonah do at the last. So let's now turn to God's word. Uh, If you're able, please stand with me for the reading of God's word. Jonah chapter 4, verses 5 through 11. Jonah went out of the city and sat to the east of the city and made a booth for himself there. He sat under it in the shade till he, could, till he should see what would become of the city. Now the Lord God appointed a plant and made it come up over Jonah that it might be a shade over his head to save him from his discomfort. So Jonah was exceedingly glad because of the plant. But when dawn came up the next day, God appointed a worm that attacked the plant so that it withered. When the sun rose, God appointed a scorching east wind, and the sun beat down on the head of Jonah so that that he was faint. And he asked that he might die and said, It is better for me to die than to live. But God said to Jonah, Do you do well to be angry for the plant? And he said, yes, I do well to be angry, angry enough to die. And the Lord said, you pity the plant for which you did not labor, nor did you make it grow, which came into being in a night and perished in a night. And should not I pity Nineveh, that great city in which there are more than 120,000 persons who do not know their right hand from their left and also much cattle? The word of God for the people of God. You may be seated. Lord, thanks for your word. Sometimes it's hard to understand. But God, we pray by the power of the Holy Spirit. As we listen to it read, and that we hear uh, these, these thoughts uh, that I have that you have, Lord, given to me, that more than hearing what I'm saying, we would be able to hear what you're saying. Uh, that through the distraction and the difficulty, the stress of life, all the things that we've got to do this week and today, that somehow, Lord, your spirit would move in this space, in this time, to allow us to hear what you're saying. And not only for us to hear it, but then you would give us the courage to obey what it is you're calling us to do as a result of spending this time with you. So, Lord, speak to us now. Jesus name. Amen. Who is your hero? If you had to write down on a piece of paper who your hero is, who would you write down? And maybe it's different at this stage in your life than it was when you were 
younger, maybe when you were 12 or 40 or whatever. Who is your hero? I remember because I was a sort of an okay football player. I uh, had a meeting with the, the U.S. Military Academy to possibly play football. Uh, thankfully for me, I was, um, you know, I couldn't play for the big time schools because I was small, but thankfully I was slow. So I fit right into the U.S. Military Academy on their football team. I was kind of in that range. And so uh, me and the guy who was the, the president of my class, who was a really good swimmer, who ended up going, we drove somewhere. I remember we drove uh, to some meeting that you had to have with someone and do an interview. Now, I don't remember what kind of preparation I had done for this interview, but it seems like very little because when they said to me, who's your hero? I said, Larry Zonka. If you don't know who Larry Zonka is, he was a running back for the Miami Dolphins in the 70s. Like, what kind of hero is that? Like, what does Larry Zonka do other than carry a leather ball through people? Like, how about someone inspirational, right? Like, Jesus is my hero, or the president, or a servant person, right? So, Larry Zonka was the answer. Needless to say, I did not get into the U.S. Military Academy. Despite my athletic accomplishments, they didn't, they didn't select me. But who's your hero? I mean, we have all different kinds of heroes, right? A lot of us will put a sports figure as a hero because they're really good at putting a leather ball through an orange circle, right? Look around. How many people have a number 12 jersey in our city, right? Because John Moran, he does heroic things with the basketball. And I like John. He's a fantastic basketball player. But is he really a hero? He's a hero on the court for sure. And we're playing uh, against the Warriors. I want him to be heroic. But is he really a hero? What, is it, what makes a hero? What makes a person who exceeds? Maybe it's bravery. Maybe it's courage. Maybe it's being a servant, right? And what's our definition? Do, do our heroes uh, change? Right? There was a season during COVID when our teachers were the heroes because they were doing everything they possibly could. But then when they didn't want to go back to work, it was like, ah, te teachers. So what makes a hero? What do you think makes a hero? And how, have you ever experienced this? Have you ever met your hero? and been completely disappointed. I've known people that thought the most of some person and then when they finally got to meet him, because of whatever reason, that person was rude to him. And they're like, oh, I can't believe that person was my hero. Because heroes often will let us down. Well, throughout the history of the church, there are these people in the Bible uh, that are lifted up to us as heroes. But what we really actually see is all the people that our heroes are broken. None of them are perfect. Even the people from the Bible, broken leaders who face temptation and give in, corrupt kings who, instead of pursuing the righteousness of the kingdom, pursue their own gain. Uh, in the Bible, we remember Samson, who had this great strength, but he used it for his own purposes. He was also angry. Moses, even the great leader of the Israelites, was disobedient to God and was therefore not allowed to go into the promised land. David, the great king who was seen as a man after God's own heart, also gave in to temptation. In the church today, we're seeing many pastors and leaders who've either fallen as a result of uh, giving in to sexual temptation or maybe creating a culture in their church where they're an authoritarian leader dictating and casting vision to, for their own purposes. Well, so today we complete our study on Jonah, who fits nicely into this collection of failures. Called by God to proclaim his mercy to a wicked people, but one who ran away from what he was called to do. 
He was given the opportunity even to proclaim to the sailors, but missed the chance. Finally, he does what God asks him to do. But when the people turn from sin, instead of rejoicing, he gets angry. Now we have the last opportunity. Will Jonah's heart change? So here's what the text tells us. It says, So Jonah went out of the city and sat to the east of the city and made a booth for himself there. Now what does this tell us about what Jonah is doing? There's this revival, there's this renewal going on in the city. But Jonah says, we learned Jonah went out of the city and sat to the east of it and made a booth. Is Jonah celebrating and engaging with the renewal and the revival that's going on in the city? Or is he still counting on God to destroy the city? Therefore, I'm going to get out of the city and watch down to see what happens. He sat there under the shade till he could see what would become of the city. We're not getting the sense that Jonah has changed his heart in any way. But anyway, the Lord is gracious to Jonah. He sends this plant. It says, he appointed a plant, much like he appointed a storm. He appoints this plant to provide shade for Jonah. And then what does it say? He became exceedingly glad because of the plant. But when dawn came up the next day, God appointed a worm that attacked the plant, so it withered. When the sun rose, God appointed a scorching east wind. It beat down. And he asked that he might die and say, Is it better for me to die than to live? But God said to Jonah, You do well to be angry for the plant. Yes, I do well to be angry. But you pity the plant which you did not labor. Uh, the word that is used there for pity is compassion. It is this sense of being sympathetic and concerned about it. And Jonah pities the plant, but we see that God pities the Ninevites. It's a striking contrast. Here the prophet, the man of God who has the word, who has been called to minister, who has been successful in ministry, still can't wrap his head or his heart around the fact that his enemies might experience the mercy of God. And yet we see that the Lord still cares, even for this wicked people, even for people who were as ruthless uh, as killers as the Assyrians were in history has borne out, that they were the most ruthless of all. God still gives them an opportunity to respond to his mercy, and it's a striking word. And yet God also cares about Jonah. He's still using the natural world to try to move Jonah, for him to change his heart, to see and to extend the same mercy to the Ninevites that God wants to extend mercy to, that, to those Ninevites. So often in life, there are things that happen to us, right? And, and so for Jonah, here he is, he's out in the booth at the edge of town, and uh, this plant grows up over him. And what does it say? He's exceedingly glad. Something good happened in his life, and so he's grateful for the good thing. But then when the good thing is taken away, he becomes upset. He becomes angry. And so what is this saying to us about Jonah and where his heart is? Jonah is still stuck in this place where he's conditioned by his circumstances. What happens to him in life is the driving factor, the driving feature of whether or not he's happy. If good things happen to Jonah, Jonah is happy. If bad things happen to Jonah, Jonah's upset. Jonah's angry. With whom is he angry? He's angry with God. 
And how much is this true for us? When we get a promotion, when we get a blessing, when someone does something nice for us, we're like, man, life is going great. This is awesome. But when something happens, it could be really bad, it could be not so bad. It's, God, where are you? Why have you done this to me, Lord? Why would you let this thing happen? How did you get me in this situation, Lord? Why are you doing this? So just like Jonah, we can wrestle with this, and we let what happens to us in the circumstances, in the events that we don't have any control over sometimes, determine whether or not we have joy. We talk about this a lot, and it's something that we all need to be reminded of. I need to be reminded of this. Am I experiencing my joy and my hope in life in light of whether or not some shade comes over me, or if it rains or not, or if something good happens, or am I living in joy because I know that the God of the universe cares about me, that he loves me, that he sent his son for me. See, the things that happen that are difficult are often opportunities for me to remember that I need God, that I can trust God, that yes, this thing isn't working out the way I want to in my life, but that doesn't mean that God's presence is not near. It doesn't mean that, that God doesn't care about me. What God is often allowing me to experience is difficulty so that I will turn from the thing that I'm pursuing to him. Because just like a shady plant, it's going to come and it's going to go. And the joy that I get from getting a little bit of extra money or getting some affirmation from a person or kicking a goal and scoring or getting an A on my test, that joy... That happiness is going to come and it's going to go. But the joy that I get from knowing the God who is, the God in the midst of the storm, the God who's there in the shade, the God who's there in the sun, the God who allows the scorching wind to burn and blow, when I know that God, and that's where my real joy comes from. Isn't that a wonderful thing to remember? You see, we see, we, we see Jonah. Of course, you know, he's not the most sympathetic character. There are other heroes in the Bible that we say, well, I really admire this guy, but Jonah has, has failed almost at every level. God uses Jonah in spite of himself, but God is continuing to pursue Jonah because he wants to get at his heart. He wants Jonah to know that God is a God of mercy, not only for him, the same mercy that Jonah needs, the Ninevites need. He does respond in obedience. And here's another lesson for us as we're thinking about what do we learn uh, from Jonah is that sometimes, even for Jonah, when he was in the belly of the fish and he proclaimed salvation in chapter 2, all those psalms that Jonah had been bringing out from, from his childhood that he had memorized and were in his heart, and he's praying all those things, and he calls out for the salvation of, of the Lord. Then you say, okay, God, well, I really cried out to you, so now everything is going to be better. Everything is going to be easy. All the things that are going wrong in life because I've confessed your name and because I've trusted in you, all that's going to be easier. Okay, so by raising your hand, has that happened for anybody? <laughs> right? So look around. So if you're feeling like, man, I really, I, I, I'm pursuing God and everything's not perfect, look around. You're in good company. Because simply because we do say, yes, Lord, I believe in you and I trust you, doesn't mean that everything's going to be laid out for us. And part of the reason why is God wants us to grow. He wants us to mature. He's, he loves us just as we are, but he's not going to leave us there. 
He doesn't want us to just have this level of maturity. So he's going to allow challenges to come up into our lives so that we can grow, so we can be more faithful. When the diagnosis is bad, when the financial challenge is difficult, when the relational problems seem like they're unbearable, that's when we need to turn to the Lord. And we say, yes, Lord, you're with me. I believe it. It says it in the Bible. I'm going to trust you. That doesn't mean everything's going to be great. But that, God, you are great. And I know that you're with me in the midst of those challenges. And that's the joy of knowing the Lord. That's one of the things that we can learn from Jesus. And here, excuse me, we learn from Jonah. And here he has this grateful spirit for a plant. um, But then he's in a state of lament. He says, it's better for me to die than to live, echoing what he had said before. Remember, God asked him, are you mad, bro? What's going on in your heart? If you feel angry, if you feel mad, it's an opportunity to say, what is it that I've got my hope in that's not God, that's holding me back from a deeper and more profound relationship with God? Is it really a good thing for me to be angry about? I need to check my heart. Because see, God continues to show Jonah patience and compassion, the kind that Jonah is not willing to pay the Ninevites, and he's willing to show you compassion. He's not angry with you for for not getting it all the time, but he's not going to let you go. He's not going to leave you where you are. Why? Because he loves you, and he wants you to know his love more and more and more. Notice I said the word pity. It it appears twice in the text. Once Jonah has pity for the plant, the other God has pity on Nineveh. 120,000 people. This word means to give us uh, the concern, the compassion, and the contrast. What this says to us is that, is that God cares about people who are very, very far away from him. Right? What's the, one of the most famous Bible verses of all time? It's the one that's held up on a sign at football games. John 3.16. For God so loved the world that he gave his only son, that whoever would believe in him would not perish but have everlasting life. And what a great verse that is. It just reminds us that God's passion and his compassion are on those who are far from him. And I mean, you think about it, if there's ever been a people or a country or a community who are farther away from God than the, than the Ninevites, I can't think of one. And so sometimes we feel, well, because of my choices, because of my decisions, because of my past, because of all the things, I'm far from God. God couldn't possibly love me. After everything that I've done, I've neglected him or ignored him most of my life. And yet God is saying to us through Jonah, through Jesus, that he loves us and he wants to be in relationship with us. And he extends this invitation. He says, here it is. I want to be in relationship with you. I want to know you and to help you to grow. I want to redeem you. I want to give you a new life. Even when you're far away. God God demonstrates his own love for us in this Roman says, even while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. The worst thing that you've ever done in your entire life, the worst betrayal, the worst thought, the worst action that you've ever taken, Christ was dying for you when you were doing that. And he wants to forgive you and set you free and bring you into relationship with himself. And that's the gospel. And that's what Jonah is pointing us to, even in his failure, even as a potential hero who blows it. He's pointing us to this one true hero. So what do we learn from Jonah? Here are some things that I've learned from Jonah. And maybe you've learned some things. 
Here's what I want you to think about. What have you learned from Jonah? But not just information in your head. Not just some lesson. Oh, I, I learned that Jonah's father was you know, Amittai, or that he went to Nineveh, or that he actually, whatever. What's going to change in your life as a result of interacting with God's word and learning from Jonah? So I lift these things up to you, things that I've learned. Maybe you've learned them. But then how do you apply this? Let's come in as we are, but let's not leave the same. One of the things that we learn is that God calls his people to do seemingly impossible things for the good of those he wants to reach and for the good of those he calls into his service. Right? God has a mission, and he wants his people to be on that mission. And sometimes you look at the world and you think, there is no way for there to be renewal, for there to be revival in our country. But let me tell you, it's happening all over the world. And God wants to use people like you and me to be engaged in that process. And maybe you think, I don't know how to talk about it. I don't know how to do it. I don't know what would happen. Maybe they would reject me. Well, Jonah thought all the same things. And yet, finally, he obeyed. And look at what God did. Is there someone in your life that needs to hear about the good news of the gospel of Jesus? Because not only does God have a mission for you, he wants to bring about change in you as you engage in that mission. We learn that it's possible also for us to be in relationship with God and yet have something else that's really motivating us. For Jonah, it was an inordinate love for his country. Is it too much love of safety or security or your own race? Something that can get in between us and God. Even for Jonah, who was a member of the covenant family of God, something else was in between him and God. And it was hindering his joy. It was hindering his freedom. And so what Jonah needed to do was to repent of that. And the same thing goes for us, is when we learn, what is that thing that's holding me back from loving and cherishing God in the good and in the bad? And repenting of that and saying, yes, Lord, thank you for revealing it to me. Let me now live in freedom and joy and pursue you wholeheartedly. We learn that sometimes people who are not in relationship with God are more willing to cry out to God just as the sailors did. We think about that. Here's Jonah, who, who knows God. He's got the Bible memorized. We, he proves it to us in chapter 2. When, when he goes into the fish, he's quoting scripture. And yet when the storm comes on the boat, he's not doing anything. He's not crying out. The sailors, they're crying out to God. So it's possible that there are people that you know who haven't grown up going to church, that don't know anything about the Bible, who are open spiritually to God because of the storm that they're facing. And the question is, are you asleep on the job? Are you just concerned about your journey and what's happening in your life when people around you who are open spiritually, who are wondering, what's the answer to the problems in the world? I don't know. And you're just going... Instead of saying, yes, Lord, let's pray about this. I don't know everything, but I know the God of the wind and the rain. And we can go to him for comfort and joy. So let's call out to him. Can I pray for you? When was the last time when someone shared with you something difficult, you just said right then and there, would it be okay if I prayed for you? You can do it. How many of you know how to pray? Everybody raise your hand. I know you all know how to do it. How many of you ever encounter people who are going through something difficult? Everybody raise your hand. Perfect match. You know how to pray. They're going through something difficult. 
Trust the Lord in that moment to say, let me pray for you. The words don't have to be perfect. Trust me, mine never are. But just take that step. Say, yes, Lord, I'm gonna do this. What might happen? They may say, no, no thanks. You know how many times that's happened to me? Plenty. But you know what also happens? After you get done praying, there's tears coming down people's faces. I've had people say, no one's ever done that for me before. (laughs) You can do it. We learn also that God has compassion on all people because he's made them in his image. Yes, the Lord will punish sin and wickedness, but those who turn to him can be restored no matter how far they are away from God. Even the Ninevites, if they had pursued the covenant Lord, could have been restored to the Lord. We also learn that Jonah isn't a hero. Much life like all the rest of the characters in the Bible and pretty much everybody in our world today. But the good news is about Jonah is that he points us to the true and better hero. The one who is the hero. You see, who is that? In the Bible, uh, there's a, a, a literary device that's used. It's called a type. And Jonah is a type of Christ. Because in Jonah, we see the true and better Jesus, right? The one who is the greatest hero of all. You see, both Jonah and Jesus received a mission from God to go and preach. Jonah disobeyed, but Jesus obeyed the Father willingly. And while Jonah refused at first and only obeyed reluctantly, and after God let him pout inside a fish. Both Jesus and Jonah went down to Sheol for three days, Jonah chapter 2, verse 2. Jonah's experience was more like extreme discomfort in addition to it being against his will. But Jesus went to his death willingly in obedience to the Father and in love for his people. Both were delivered from their trip down to Sheol, but Jesus was resurrected and offers that same resurrection to anyone who would follow him. Jonah was merely spat out of a fish and offers a half-hearted sermon on repentance. Both preached a message exhorting people to repent in the face of impending judgment. Jonah preached the bare minimum and had no power to save. But Jesus preached relentlessly for years and had the power to forgive sins. Both saw sinners repent and believe in God for the forgiveness of sins. Sadly, Jonah hated the Ninevites and didn't want God to have mercy on them. Jesus, our good shepherd, rejoiced when sinners, especially Gentiles, believed and repented. In dramatic fashion, Jonah selfishly wished for for death to escape his discomfort and to avoid seeing his enemies enjoy God's mercy. But Jesus, in quiet obedience, endured torture and death for sinners in order to save them from hell. Jesus is the true and better Jonah. And we praise God for that. So we learn from Jonah. But the question remains, what's our response? What is our response? There may be, there may be some in this room right now that have never really truly turned to Jesus, the true and better Jonah, the one who can save, the one who preached, the one who willingly gave his life up. Maybe you've never really said, Lord, yes, I believe that you are the God of the Bible and the God of history and the God of the wind and the rain. And so I'm going to trust in you because I believe in what you did. Yes, you went to the cross and you forgive my sins through the resurrection and I can be restored to you. And for those of us who have already embraced Jesus as Lord and trust him, what is the mission that God has called us to? 
It could be a mission in our family. It could be a mission at work or in our classroom. Who are the people that God has put around me that I have the opportunity to encourage? Not to preach a half-hearted sermon, but to live out the sermon that is my life before them and to say, how can I serve you? How can I minister to you? Even the people that we don't like. Even the people that God has put in our midst that just give us the hardest time. That person that you work with that's so annoying. And when they come over, you're like, oh no, here he comes. Hopefully you don't think about that when I come over. But still, you have to have compassion on me. You're called to love me as your brother and to listen. And you can pray for me too, for sure. Right, Matt, Pastor Matt, let's pray for you, brother. We have compassion and care because you know what? The same mercy that the Ninevites need, Jonah needs and you and I need. Because deep down in there, in, in all of us, no matter who you are or where you're from, is the seed of racism, is the seed of I'm better than that group of people for whatever reason. The rich people, ah, they're rich people. The poor people, ah, they're poor people. People from different countries, different religions, there's that sense in which I don't need them. And yet God calls us to go on mission, to love and serve them, whoever they are. So what's God saying to you? What's the lesson that you're learning? And what are you going to do about it? I mean, it would be a shame to just come in and learn something about Jonah and never to be changed by it. See, the power of the gospel is not only do we learn about who Jesus is and what he says and what he's done, but it actually changes us in sometimes magnificent and glorious and significant ways, all of a sudden, really powerfully, like the explosion of a volcano. But another kind of power in, in our world is a glacier that moves slowly, bit by bit. And wherever, wherever the powerful changes is an explosion in your life or just a little change, is to say, yes, I want to study God's word like Jonah did so I'll know it more effectively when I have an opportunity to pray. Or I am going to reach out to that person. Or I am going to take that step and to pray for someone, even if I feel uncomfortable doing it. What's the step that you're going to take? What's going to be different about you as a result of encountering Jesus through the message of Jonah? Who knows what difference it could make? Think about what Jonah did for 120,000 people in Nineveh by simply responding in obedience. Will you obey what Jesus is telling you to do in light of Jesus' obedience for you? Let's pray. Thank you for listening to this message from Woodland Presbyterian Church, maturing God's people to serve a hurting world. Again, if you'd like to learn more about our congregation, please visit us at woodlandpres.org. Thank you very much, and God bless you today.